Hello, welcome to Spiritual Warfare. My name is Teresa. I will be reading from the book by Jensen Franklin. Overcoming when you feel overwhelmed. Five steps to surviving the chaos of life. He can't pull it out of the ground. So he calls Moses over. Both of them grasp the staff with all of their might and they jerk the rod out of the ground. But wait, the end of the stick is dripping wet. Moses says, hit it again. And with the background of spring up, Bowell, water starts gushing out of the dry ground. Stop thinking that God is only going to use you after you get married, when you find the perfect job, once you move to the perfect city, after the fighting stops in your family, or once you're finally over that temptation. Start saying, I am the one. This is the place. Now is the time. The author of Ecclesiastics wrote that a living dog is better than a dead lion. As powerful as a lion is, if he's dead, his power is nothing more than a lost opportunity. For him, it's over. I do not want to be a dead lion. I would rather be a living dog. As small as dog as I may be, if I'm breathing, there's still life ahead. I still have a chance. A present opportunity plagued with problems is better than an awesome opportunity that has passed. Now is the time the people of Israel refused to march and refused to march into the promised land because they listened to the ten spies. Moses tried to intervene for them and ask God to pardon them, but God basically answered, you're too late. I'm not going to use you. I've already chosen another generation to enter the promised land. You can find that in Numbers 14, 18 through 23. Again, now is the time. Did you know that if you wait until it's too late, you can miss your destiny? You can miss your purpose. You can miss the plan God has for your life. Now is the time. Today is the day. When are we going to quit saying, one day we're going to do something. One day we're going to make a difference. One day we're going to really win the world. One day we're going to change our nation. One day we're going to influence this country for God. And when are we going to say, now is the time? This is the moment. This is the place. There will never be a greater time to give your best, to give your all, to pour your life out to God than right now. You are the one. This is the place. Now is the time. Awaken to your destiny today. You were created to be the salt and light of the earth. You can't do anything about your past, but you can rewrite the rest of your life. It starts right now. What are you waiting for? Again, you can't do anything about your past, but you can rewrite the rest of your life. It starts right now. What are you waiting for? The temple tour and the five steps. 
For thousands of years, people have speculated about the last days of the return of Jesus. The disciples were no different. Matthew 24 recounts one of the most important prophecies in the Bible. In that scripture, we read how during the last week of Jesus' life, the disciples went with him to the temple, the crowning achievement of the Jewish people. As they strolled through the architectural magnificence, gaping in awe at all its splendor, the disciples somehow forgot that Jesus was the carrier of the presence of God, a presence that had vacated that temple. The disciples thought Jesus would be as impressed as they were at what men had done to build the kingdom of God. But Jesus was not at all impressed by what mankind could do. He said something that caught them off guard. Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Matthew 24, 2. This comment messed them up. Fast forward 24 hours, and Jesus and the disciples were at the Mount of Olives across the valley looking down on the same temple. Contemplating the words that Jesus had spoken the previous day about the temple, they gathered to ask him, When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus, in his unique way, didn't answer the question they were asking. Instead, he gave them the answer they would need. Take heed that no one deceives you. The phrase take heed is translated in various versions as be careful. See to it and watch out. Four times in Matthew 24, Christ warned of being deceived. To deceive someone refers to seducing that person and causing him or her to wander out of the right path. Jesus didn't load the disciples down with the many signs of the times, nor did he tell them when he was going to come. They didn't need the exact time and every sign. What they needed most was simply to take heed to themselves. In other words, make sure they were on their toes. Make sure they were making the right godly choices. The same is true for us today. When responding to these return of Christ kind of questions, Jesus said, then what he is saying to believers all over the world today, what you know or don't know about the end times isn't nearly as important as who you are when I return. He also gave us five steps we can take that we will help we can take that will help us explore who we are as we approach the end times. We will look at each of these steps more closely in part two ahead, but here they are together in a list. Step one, look within. Take heed that no one deceives you. Matthew 24, 4. Step two, look to him. See that you are not troubled. Verse six. 
Step three, look ahead. He who endures the end shall be saved. Verse 13. Step four, look out. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached. Verse 14. Step five, look up. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. I love how Jesus shifted gears in Matthew 24. It's almost as though he did it on purpose. I'm sure by now he was used to people asking him about the latest prophecy. It was their curiosity or begging him for a sign to bolster their faith. But Jesus knew what was most important, preparing his followers spiritually, emotionally, and mentally for what was to come. We may be living in perilous times, but they are also times filled with tremendous opportunity. Don't be filled with worry. Be strong and courageous because we serve the God of hope. Old weapons, new victories. Sometimes it takes an old sword to slay new giants. After David is anointed as the future king of Israel, he levels up. Instead of fighting lions and bears, he finds himself in the ring with a nine-foot warrior named Goliath. You probably know the story. This teenage runt, (laughs) overlooked by his father and brothers, grips a bag full of five smooth stones and steps onto a bloody battlefield. Goliath mocks the poor kid, but David is anything but afraid. When this is over, he tells the giant, I'm going home. You, however, are going down. One stone, one shot, and the insulting warrior is dead. David seals the deal by decapitating Goliath with the fallen giant's own sword. Cue the celebration. The teenage boy is hailed as a hero and invited to live in the palace with King Saul. He has to be thinking that his time to reign is quickly approaching. Fast forward many years. David still is not on the throne. Instead, he is being chased out of the palace by the jealous king. David finds himself running for his life, a season that stretches into many years. He is, unpre- he is an unprepared fugitive. No plan, no money, no weapons, no extra clothes, no canned goods, no GPS. Where does he run to first? The temple. I love that. In his darkest days, he chooses to run to the temple not to a bar, not into the arms of a woman, not into the clutch of an addiction, but to the place where the presence of God is found. Where do you run when you're in trouble? In the temple, David meets a priest by the name of Emiliac. The fugitive asks for food and the priest gives him bread and probably some wine. As David stuffs his mouth, crumbs sticking out in his beard and collecting on his cloak, he asks Amaclech for one more thing. Mm, 
I know this is an unusual request, but I was in such a hurry that I left without my weapons, and I might need them out there. Do you have any weapons in the house of God? <laughs> the priest shakes his head. Nope, we're preachers here, not fighters. Before disappointment can shadow David's heart, Amalek's face lights up. Wait a minute. As a matter of fact, we have one weapon. It just so happens that we have the same sword you used to cut off Goliath's head. Would you like that one? The same sword for a new victory. It may have been old, but it was just as sharp. And if it had worked, then surely it's going to work now. Can you imagine David's eyes when the priest showed him the weapon once brandished by the very giant who had threatened to kill him? In a split second, the young man was surely transported back to that battlefield, the triumphal chanting of thousands ringing in his ear. The boy had brought the sword to the temple because he knew the one whom the victory belonged. Back in the temple, older and on the run, facing a new fight and a different enemy, David reaches for the same glistening instrument of war. The sword is even more than he was looking for. It is just what he needs. So, I can imagine the future king whispering in awe to the priest, There is none like it. Give it to me. The weapons God provided for us in the past still work today. The same name that is above all names, the same blood that was shed on the cross, the same power of the Holy Spirit, the same tools of praying and fasting. These are not meant for us to showcase in church as props, but to use as weapons to endure and thrive, particularly in the end times. Think of these five steps. Look within, look to him, look ahead, look out, look up. As weapons you can use to overcome no matter what life throws your way.